if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 in our Advent and Christmas series, Eight Women and a Baby. We have uh, come to the seventh woman, although in most people's minds, this person should be number one. She is the leading lady. Because the first woman everyone thinks of when you mention the birth of Jesus is who? Mary. And it's right that we do think of her first, especially in light of her connection to an association with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. As one of her own relatives will confirm, Mary is blessed among women. And as Mary herself will go on to declare, all generations will call me blessed. And so Mary does tend to and should stand out. Mary is probably the youngest of the eight women that we're going to look at during this series. She's the only singer-songwriter, as far as we know. But there's more to her story, and there's so much more of her story to consider. And so my aim this morning is to give you seven things about Mary, seven things about Mary for you to contemplate and kind of take away from this morning and reflect on over the next few days. Mary is the fifth woman mentioned in the family tree of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, a genealogy that we have read a number of times here on Sunday mornings during December. But she is the fifth woman mentioned, but compared to the other four that we have looked at, Mary's quite different. Although it is interesting that just like the other four, there was a bit of a question mark around her sexual behavior and standards. And so Tamar, you'll remember, she, she slept with her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth visited Boaz in the night and lay at his feet, whatever exactly that means. Bathsheba had an affair with a king, and Mary became pregnant outside of wedlock. That's, that's the raw data, if you like, and although there's so much more to Mary's situation than meets the eye, as we all know, most people at that time, most people in Mary's community would have thought that she had been sexually active before marriage and that hers was, as we might call it, an unplanned pregnancy. So let's go to Luke chapter one, where we read part of her story, and, and let's identify these seven things about this remarkable, sometimes misunderstood young woman. We're going to read from verse 26 to 38, so as we often do at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. How 
can or will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Grab grab a seat. Mary is introduced to us, and we're given three facts about her. One, she is a virgin. Two, she is due to get married to a guy called Joseph. And three, she is a descendant of David. All of those are there in verse 27. But after Dr. Luke kind of states this factual and really important information, he then passes on to us two things about Mary that really set her up that kind of really set her apart for what is about to happen. And in verse 28, we read that Mary is highly favored and the Lord is with her. Now, the person or or rather the angel who confirms these two critical details is none other than Gabriel. This is not Gabriel's first appearance in the Christmas story. If you've got a Bible in front of you, look up at verses 11 and verse 19, and you'll see that six months earlier, Gabriel had shown up beside the altar in the temple and scared the life out of an elderly priest called Zechariah. Gabriel's mere appearance, it says, gripped Zechariah with fear. But what Zechariah said led to him being disabled from speaking for the next nine months. He didn't believe what he heard the angel Gabriel say to him. Mary's reaction to Gabriel was a bit different. She doesn't seem to have been overly bothered by his appearance, but she is bothered by his opening words, his greeting. Look look at verse 29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So so let's be clear, it's what he said that confuses Mary. It's what he said that disturbs her, and he hasn't even got to his main message. Now, what I want you to do is put yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment, and I realize that's hard at so many levels. But if someone comes to you or came to you and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Someone came to you and said those two things. Wouldn't you be encouraged? Wouldn't you feel affirmed? Wouldn't you feel pretty good? So why is Mary so troubled, so disturbed, so taken back by these two things? Well, it seems that here is a young girl whose life and attitude is characterized by humility. She is genuinely surprised that someone, that anyone, never mind an angel, would say these remarkable things to her or about her. Mary is a humble young woman, and that becomes increasingly clear as you read her story. She isn't full of herself. She isn't ahead of herself. There isn't a hint of pride or arrogance in this young girl's body. And therefore, even her reaction to Gabriel's initial remarks, his greeting, 
her reaction serves as a challenge to us. Because we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a context where life is so often all about me. It's centered on self. It's about my rights, it's about my way, it's about my choices, it's about my call. And so what we do, and I know I do, we carry pride like a disease. And so when we meet this young woman, we're immediately confronted by her humility and we're reminded of this essential Christian trait. God exalts the humble, but the proud he brings down. So the first thing I want us to notice about Mary is that she's humble. And we'll come back to that because there's further evidence for it. Now, before we identify the other six things from the text, I realize that I've been using the word girl and young reasonably frequently so far. And that's because, and I appreciate most of us are aware of this, but Mary was. Mary was. Although we can't be absolutely sure of her age, we do know in that culture that a person who was pledged to be married to someone, as Luke tells us Mary was, that person was usually between the ages of 13 and 16. And so that is the age range, that is the age bracket that most people put Mary into. And I know I've made this point many times before, but isn't it exciting how God often uses young people to accomplish his plans and his purposes? Age is never an issue in the kingdom of God. And so a young Joseph shares prophetic dreams with his father and with his brothers that alters the course of his life, in fact, alters the course of an entire nation. David fights a giant despite being told, there's no way you can go against the Philistine. You're just a boy. Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. And he goes on to reform a wayward nation when he's 16. A kid with a lunchbox helps alleviate a major food shortage. Timothy, a gifted young church leader, is told, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And Mary, a teenage girl, carries the Son of God in her womb. You know, God uses young people, and I thank God for a church that recognizes that. I thank God for a church that invests in our young people, that encourages and attempts to empower and strengthen them to be kids and young people who love and serve God. God isn't ageist. So we go back to the text, and in response to Mary's query about this greeting, Gabriel comes back at her, and he repeats the first part of his greeting. He says, do not, this is verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And so the second thing I want us to notice about Mary is she was favored. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, now we're back to a core theme of this series. A subject we've kept emphasizing in the lives of every single woman we've looked at during Advent, grace. Because the word favor here is the word Grace. And so what it says here, Mary, you who are highly graced. Mary, you who have found grace. Mary, you who are the recipient of grace. And because Mary is a recipient of God's grace, that changes, that alters everything because God's grace is amazing. It is undeserved and it transforms lives. One of the definitions of grace is what? It's unmerited favor. That's what grace is unmerited favor. And that's what God brings to the table. That's what God brings to this table, not the juice and biscuits. That's what God brings to this table. That's what God brings into the life of this young woman. Mary didn't warrant it. 
Mary didn't deserve God's grace or favor, but God's grace, his all-encompassing one-way love came crashing into her life and set in motion the birth of Jesus, the one who would save his people from their sins because Jesus was and Jesus is God's gift of grace. Jesus is, as we said last week, Jesus is grace with flesh on. And that grace of God is still reaching out and it's still extending. Let let me read you something I came across this week about God's inexhaustible grace for an exhausted world. Love that idea. God's inexhaustible grace for an exhausted world. Here's what one person said. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. The cliche definition of grace is unconditional love. It's a true cliche, for it is a good description of the thing. But let's go a little further. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they may be. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved, that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one-way love. Mary was highly graced. And this morning, grace is reaching out to you. Grace is reaching out to me, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are. The one-way love of a gracious God who loved you so much that he gave Jesus for this world. It's reaching out to you and me this Christmas. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you, the beloved, but it's everything and only to do with the lover. And Mary was on the receiving end of it. And so as the angel greeted her, she is confronted and blown away by the immense love that God has for her. Not only the immense love that God has for her, but his presence with her. You, Mary, you who are highly graced, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That's Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us this morning. Mary was humbled and favored. And then Gabriel shares his main message. Look at verses 31 to 33. And so Gabriel says to Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be a son. And you're to call him Jesus, but that's not the only name he's got. He's also going to be called the son of the most high, and he's going to be great, and he's going to be a king, because the Lord is going to give him the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign forever over an eternal kingdom. Mary discovers that somehow she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. That is effectively what the angel is just telling her. The Old Testament promises concerning the coming one are mentioned and all wrapped up in what Gabriel shares with Mary. And these words, Mary would have been familiar with many of these words and these descriptions and these ideas because she was a devout Jewish girl who was saturated in the scriptures, as we'll see later. Now, in terms of the true identity of the Christmas baby, and I know we could, we could spend forever considering virtually every word and phrase, his name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. He's going to be great. He's going to be a king. I mean, we could spend all morning, but this morning, we're focusing on Mary. And so let's look at her immediate response to this. 
And her response is priceless. Look at verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Mary's innocence and purity come screaming through. She has just been told that she is gonna give birth to the most high God, the son, sorry, of the most high God. She's gonna give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. Her list of questions must have been endless, but you know what her primary question regards? It's a technical one. How is this going to work since I'm a virgin? You see, unlike Zechariah, Mary doesn't appear to doubt the message. But what she does need some clarification about is the method. And so Gabriel obliges, and he tells her how it's going to happen. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High God is going to overshadow you, and you're going to become pregnant. And then he goes on to tell her, do you see your elderly cousin Elizabeth? You know the one that everybody has said is unable to have children? She's pregnant. Not only is she pregnant, she's six months pregnant. And do you know why? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And again, Mary's head must have been spinning. And yet look at her response, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, or may it be to me as you have said, Gabriel. Do you know the submission and the surrender is staggering. The submission and the surrender of this young woman is staggering. The offering of herself as a servant of the Lord, as a slave, her obedient reaction to, the, to Gabriel's message is nothing short of mind-blowing. God has spoken to Mary via his messenger, and Mary's up for this. She's willing to serve. She's willing to obey. And the challenge in that, I want to suggest this morning, is huge. Huge. And these are the fourth, third and fourth things that I want to say about Mary. I want us to take away. She's submitted and she's obedient. Mary listened to some of the most incredible, some of the most demanding, some of the most dangerous words ever uttered by God. Life-changing words. Words that were going to create all kinds of problems for this girl. These words were going to alter the course of her life. These words were going to impact her immediate and her long-term future. These words were going to cause potential ridicule and rejection and misunderstanding. And yet Mary grasps them and she accepts them and she commits herself to them. Because here is an obedient servant of the Lord. And being an obedient servant, that's what trumped everything else. That is what really mattered. That was what was far more important. And as I've been reflecting on this this week, I do find myself deeply challenged. Because what is my personal response to God's word? What is my reaction to God's demanding, incredible, dangerous at times word? Well, I do know that I'm not so sure my posture or my response is always one of submission and surrender. Mary's example here on how we should receive the, God as a, or the word of God is a real model, a real model. So let me ask you, how, how are you, how am I responding to God's word to us this Christmas? But following on from that, the next thing, the fifth thing that we can say about Mary is she was a believer. She was a genuine 
believer. If you glance down to verse 45, we didn't read it. You'll see that as part of Mary's visit to see her elderly relative to talk about their miraculous pregnancies, Mary or Elizabeth says to her young relative, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You see, Elizabeth could see that here here her young relative was a woman, a young girl who clearly took God at his word. And despite the fact that she was an oxymoron, that she was a pregnant virgin, she believed. Now, whether she understood it or understood or grasped everything is up for discussion and debate, highly doubtful, but the point is she just believed. Her faith and her trust were amazing. And so Mary goes down in history as the first person to believe the good news about Jesus. Mary was the first person to believe the gospel. And so no wonder she's considered blessed. And so let's keep going as we continue to build this bigger and fuller picture, and I'm nearly done. So she was humble, she was favored, she was highly graced, she was submitted, she was surrendered, she was a believer, and then Mary breaks into song. And she creates lyrics that provide an insight, a further insight into her person and into her character. And I know we have looked at the Magnificat as it's often referred to or titled many times before, but let me just simply highlight three more things about Mary that become clear. First off, her humility is further emphasized. So I'm not, this is not the sick thing, but I'm just re-emphasizing her humility. Because at the beginning of this song, she says, God has been mindful of my humble state. You see, We said earlier that Mary wasn't full of herself. She wasn't full of her own self-importance. Mary knew that God surely could have found someone who was a richer person than she was, someone who was more powerful than she was, someone who was better known, someone who was more celebrated, a more high-profile. Surely God could have found someone like that, and yet he chooses her, and she's an ordinary, and she's a common, and she's an unlikely teenage peasant girl who in the eyes of the world had very little going for her. And yet God chooses her. God was mindful, it says, of her humble state. The humble state of her heart. Because the heart matters. And I'm not going to repeat the mantra. But next, we come to this. Because she was blessed this is a sick thing. Verse 48, from, all, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. And Elizabeth, as I said right at the start, had actually said of Mary, Mary, you are blessed among all women. She was blessed because she was chosen to carry and deliver and mother God incarnate. Doesn't mean she was perfect. Certainly doesn't mean, as some people seem to imply, that she was sinless. Mary herself rejoices in her God, who she describes as her Savior. Mary knew she needed to be rescued. Mary knew she needed to be delivered. Mary knew of her need of salvation. So Mary knew her state before God. But she was blessed, and she will forever be seen as blessed. She is the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's a biblical term. Although it's worth pointing out, and this is so important, that blessed does not mean an easy life. 
that if you're truly blessed by God, then it means that everything's going to go well for you or it's going to be better for you or there's going to be less pain and difficulty. Mary knew and would continue to know hardship. Yes, she was blessed, but her pregnancy would be the talk of the town. In the very next chapter, she's going to listen as somebody says to her, Mary, do you know something? A sword is going to pierce your very soul because you're the mother of this child. When Jesus is 12 years old, Mary thinks she's lost her special son. Mary is going to be left wondering what has happened to her son when he turns 30 and he starts saying things like, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and their mother, their wife and their children, their brothers and their sisters, yes, even if they do not hate their own life, then such a person cannot be my disciple. Mary is going to be incredibly confused at some of the things her son says, hurt by them. Plus, she will know intense pain and sorrow and despair as she watches her son being wrongly accused and beaten and killed. Mary is blessed of God, and that means a lot, but it certainly doesn't mean an easy life. And then the final thing I want to mention about Mary is that she was saturated in Scripture. Do you know the song that Mary sings, and we've, we've pointed this out before, but the song that Mary sings, the lyrics that she pens are made up of phrase after phrase after phrase of Scripture. And so in that song, in those verses, in the middle of Luke chapter 1 or toward the end, there are references to Psalm 103, Psalm 22, Psalm 44, Psalm 89, Psalm 98, Psalm 147, Psalm 25. Mary also uses phrases in that song from the books of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Isaiah, and Job. To quote one writer, Mary pillages the scriptures to come up with the words of praise to give back to God for the marvelous thing that he has done for her. You see, Mary knew. Mary was immersed in God's word, and it becomes very apparent how quickly God's word has formed this young woman, has informed this young woman, has influenced this young woman. She was saturated in Scripture, and so when she sings, she just sings God's Word. So Mary is a truly remarkable woman of Advent. She is the leading lady. And as we look down this list of seven things that come across about her, I would encourage you to kind of take this list away and hold up God's Word, if you like, as a kind of mirror and check your reflection. And so Mary is humble. So what about us this morning? Are we me-centered or are we others-centered? Mary is favored, highly favored, highly graced. She is on the receiving end of the full force of God's amazing grace. How and where is the grace of God at work in your life this morning? How are you experiencing and reveling in the grace of God today? which still is reaching out to us, still extended to us. Mary is submitted. She's willing to serve and she's willing to do whatever it takes. Mary is obedient. She is courageously obedient. She hears God's word. She does God's word. May it be to me as you have said. She hears. She obeys. Mary is a believer. She trusts in the good news of Jesus. Mary is blessed. And what about us? Well, as Jesus once said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So many of us here this morning believe. And so God says, you're blessed. You are blessed. 
And Mary is saturated in scripture, immersed, formed, and influenced by God's word. And again, what about us? What is shaping our lives? What's informing our choices? What's forming our reactions and our responses to various situations? Mary and her story serves as an example, and I hope that it will speak into our lives this Christmas. We're gonna close by singing uh, My Jesus, My Savior. And in that song, Mary starts off by referring to my God who is my Savior. And so we're gonna sort of grab part of her lyrics and we're gonna stand together and sing My Jesus, My Savior. Lord, there is none like you. Let's stand together as we sing.